was uh, many yards, the backs of the houses, where they had pigsties, and they also had um, uh, an area for boiling the, the slops, the food for the pigs. And uh, they'd light a big fire with sawdust shavings that they got from local uh, woodworking places. But, uh, and as kids, we would be in the yards with the fires lighting, getting a bit of a heat and having a bit of a laugh. But all the slops that the neighbors would give in, you know, the leftovers from whatever they were eating, uh, would be boiled up in the uh, these big churns, whatever they were. It's great to be back with another podcast and welcome back everyone. Really interesting show lined up for you. Deirdre, some might say that the dubs think milk comes straight from a supermarket shelf. However, Carl, chatting with Mary Kennedy in McDenver, two Dublin city locals, they tell us all about farming goings on in the 50s, smack bang in the middle of Dublin. Really opened up our minds, I suppose, from heating up pig slops to milk being produced in Brown Thomas, sitting alongside the handbags, TB and the big tulka floods of 1954. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome back for another Environment Edge podcast number 72. And here we go. So Mick yeah. and Mary, you're extremely welcome to the show. Thank you. So Mick... Um, we've been chatting here in your kitchen for the last couple of minutes and we've been talking about your childhood experiences. Could you tell us a little bit about where you're from and your connection to this area? So we're here in Dublin at the moment. Right. Uh, Well, my name is Mick Denver. I was born in Spring Garden Street, Bollybock, Dublin in 1945. And I lived in uh, number 46, Spring Garden Street. And it was a lovely street, great neighbours, and loads to do for the children. We weren't well off or anything. It was a poor, poor times. But uh, people made the best of what they had. And a lot of people kept uh, livestock, like uh, they would have had pigs. And uh, some had a horse. Some had a cow, some had chickens, and there was others who didn't have any livestock at all, but they had fairly good jobs. Like a couple of the men on the street worked in Guinness, which was a fantastic job because they had uh, medical uh, facilities free from Guinness. The doctor would come down and attend to them if they were sick. Now, if we step on my street, Spring Garden Street, there was uh, many yards, the backs of the houses, where they had pigsties, and they also had um, uh, an area for boiling the, the slops, the food for the pigs. And uh, they'd light a big fire with sawdust shavings that they got from local uh, woodworking places. But, uh, and as kids, we would be in the yards with the fires lighting, getting a bit of a heat and having a bit of a laugh. But all the slops that the neighbors would give in, you know, the leftovers from whatever they were eating, uh, would be boiled up in the uh, these big churns, whatever they were. So everybody were, was feeding the pigs, Mick? Everybody was feeding the pigs, exactly. You know, I knew all the men. As kids, we would know them by their names, Mr. Barrett, Mr. Taney, and 
of Mr. Riley, and um, we could go ramble in and there were the yards if we wanted. And there was hands, plenty of hands, and they'd be running around the place. And we also played around the back lanes. We'd hoop around with our, our hoops, you know, that's it, a wheel off a bicycle with no spokes. And we'd run around, <laughs> gangs of us running around with a bit of stick. And that was our toy, really. But, uh, and then there was another man, he lived next door to me, uh, P.D. Lennon was his name, and he used to train trotting horses. Now his yard went out into Bollybuck Lane, but uh, he would be in Spring Garden Street, you'd see him, as we kids we used to watch, and he'd have the horse on, uh, like what would you say, a reins, the reins, a long reins of rope, and he'd walk it, the horse up the avenue and have it stepping out and he'd be tipping it with the ropes because we'd be sitting there kids we didn't realise what he was doing he was training them some way or other and he'd go up the street and then he'd turn her down or bring her back and this was done fairly often now so he was into sort of uh, training horses for trotting more or less as far as he and he also had a sort of a stud because he had a stallion out the back and fellas used to bring horses to be covered you know, and that was uh, oh, interesting no. because we didn't know what was going on. But <laughs> it, 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 had a good idea, then. <laughs> we didn't really. We were very innocent, yeah. very innocent. But in my own backyard, in my house, there was uh, the back of us was a dirty yard, and the entrance of that would have been in the next avenue, which was Body Buck Lane. But from our yard. We could open a half door, we could see in the country now, as it used to be, and we'd look in into a sty full of pigs, and they'd be running around the place squealing and roaring and all. And sometimes as kids, we would climb over the half door, get in, and uh, walk down through the sty and into the dirty yard. Now, if they seen you, the men seen you, they'd take it out. You know the usual. Kids messing. But in the dirty yard from Bodybuck Lane, there was a lot of cattle in stalls. Yeah. They were stalled-like. And Mr. Walsh owned that. And uh, he would uh, sell the milk, I'm sure, to who, I don't know. But uh, he did go around on his bicycle. I had seen him as a kid, and this had gone way back. And he would have a small churn on the handlebars. Mm -hmm. And he, the, the women would come out with a jug and he'd ladle out a certain amount of milk, probably a pint or a half pint, I don't know. Charge-wise, I've no idea. And why they bothered, I don't know, because there would have been uh, milk available in the shops. Because I know that for a fact, because as kids, we used to collect the empty bottles for the, the shops, put them into the crates, and we'd be pushing, there were steel crates, we were so small, we had to push them on the ground and bring them down to the shops of Bolly Buck, like Brent Thomas, and and you get a, a bar or something, or maybe yeah, a penny yes. for collecting the bottles. Yeah, yeah. But on the corner of Bolly Buck Lane, there was a, a, a dairy a shop called the Dairy, and that was Martin's shop, and they sold like cheese, all dairy products, and I'm sure other stuff as well. But not so much, would uh, you say, like vegetables like cabbage of a day. It's not so much that because on the other corner, there was another shop called Paddy Rogers. And Paddy Rogers 
had lots of potatoes and cabbage and all to that. And they would be all brought in from North County Dublin. Wow, okay. And that's where the farms were, out in North County Dublin. Well, at the time you could say Coolock Artane. Mm. It was around there before it was built up. Mick, do you think, um, was there any influence? So you were living here in the city. Yes. Was there any influence by people migrating from the country back in the day? Did that influence how you kept the pigs, the geese, the dairy? Or was that inherent here already? Was that practice that you were already doing all the time? Yeah, well, as I say, my family, we weren't into it as such. But uh, the other families would have been doing it all the time there. It was yeah. just something that was there. There was Actually, when I think of it, I don't ever remember uh, country people. Right, OK. You know, yeah. I, now they could have been there and as kids we didn't realise, but I don't, they were always uh, Dublin people. Mm. And uh, the, the country people that we would call would, would be North County Dublin, like Artain, which is only a couple of miles up the road, right, you know. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they would bring in their produce into the city, into the shops like Summer's Shop, uh, Paddy Rogers' Shop, Brian Thomas, any of them. And uh, that's mostly where they got the veg and stuff from. It sounds like you had a very, very healthy, good diet Absolutely. around the time. Well, home I, produced. Home, I was very lucky. We were very lucky in our house because our neighbours uh, facing uh, Royley's, Mr. Royley walked in the market in Dublin City. He was a driver. And he would often get produce and bring it home, right? And he would share with the neighbours. You could get a couple of heads of cabbage, a few potatoes and that sort of thing. And also my grandfather had uh, some land out in Artane. And he grew uh, vegetables, all sorts. Uh, turnips, potatoes, nothing exotic, nothing we have now carrots and things and uh, tomatoes he had two glass houses and he would grow tomatoes and uh, of course they would be brought down to us my uncles would bring them down to my mother that was my mother's father now I'm talking about Uh, Bill Richards was his name and uh, like that the neighbours would get a bit of whatever was going it was people would share very much so share I think I get the I get the impression that everybody it was a real community absolutely great community spirit absolutely yeah it was fantastic you're talking about cattle and stalls yes we walked over here a few minutes ago and it's hard to believe there are so many animals and bits and pieces around here is it much more built up now or is it kind of the same and was the animals shoved into different places or well the, the time came in the city now, I don't know exactly the year, but the, the Count Corporation at the time said uh, no more animals in the city because it was being, you know, uh, being uh, populated more so and they decided that it was best to get all the animals out of the city. Um, but prior to that, uh, I think there was a lot of trouble around us. There was the swine flu. Hmm. And I remember that well, the swine flu. Uh, so all, all the animals had to be destroyed, all the pigs. Mm. And I remember standing there and the men would go into the yards and they had some sort of guns. I don't know whether there was a spike in it, but you could hear the bang. Oh. And then they had uh, 
a truck with creels on it, like, and they would toss the pigs up into that, and it could, we were watching them. As they killed them, they throw them out into the into the truck and take all the, the dead pigs away. So that was the swine fever. And that was very hard on, on the people that had mm-hmm. read them because they depended on that money. Yeah, of course. You know, and no insurance that time. Was nothing, yeah. nothing. That was in the 50s, was it? That would have been in the 50s, yeah. yeah. And, like, there was nothing from the state as far as I know, compensation or anything like that. I, I don't think they got anything. But there was things like that. And I think after that sort of thing, the corporation probably said, look, we've got to get rid of all these. Uh, right, okay. There was horses and donkeys and things like that. You know, you'd always see them around the city, loads of them, and the coal men with the, the flat truck and the horse pulling it and delivering the coal. Jack Brady, of course, uh, a neighbour, he was the coal man. And uh, there was all sorts of things. Everything was animal-wise, like, you know. Yeah. Some people had a goat, which would have been uh, fantastic, <laughs> I'm sure. But in Bollybock Lane, it was a very interesting lane. That's where the Daily Yard of Walsh's were. And uh, also, there was a turf depot. Oh. And... Uh, at the, this time of the year, we say the winter time, yeah. there'd be masses of people there. Uh, you got a docket for sixpence from the, I don't know, they got the post office or whatever. And fellas would come and they'd have all sorts of hand cards, homemade hand cards and things, you know. Yeah. They'd be knocked up sort of out for pram wheels and old prams and they'd load up. But you had to queue up with your sack. And you gave the docket to the guy, a huge amount of turf now. Yeah. And they, they'd weigh it and tip it into your sack and they'd be pushing them along. Come on, hurry up there now and get moving. People waiting. And they'd fill up the sacks, probably 100 weight sacks. And the fellas would put them into the carts. And uh, you could hire a guy to bring turf to your house if you had no transport. But he'd be pushing it on a hand cart. And spring guys, they'd be full of fellas going up and down like a highway with handcarts going around to the turf depot on Bally Buck. Brilliant. And, and, but the turf was destroyed because we used to play in or out on the course yeah, when they'd yeah. be loading the turf. And then there was often trouble there too. Fellas would have bags all stacked up ready to load onto their handcarts. Another fellas would be robbing us of the turf off <laughs> it and trying to make up a bag for themselves, you know. Oh, and they could sell it. Nothing's changed, mate. Nothing has changed. It's the very same. Yeah. And uh, that was interesting. But down the end of Bollybuck Lane, there was a farm, uh, two houses. There was Walsh's uh, dairy yard, and then there was a house after that. And that was O'Mara's. John O'Mara was that man's name. I knew him because he was a friend of my uncle's. And next to him, there was a, a, a house that belonged to McGrath's. And Jack McGrath was the son of the house. Now, he was an old guy. To me, he was an old guy. And he had an old hand cart, and he would go round and people would say, well, Jack, will you move that a chair or something or, you know, anything you wanted moved around the place, Jack would do it for you. All sorts of handy little jobs. But I remember as a kid, on a fella's shoulders, that's how small it was, and he brought me down into McGrath's house. And I'll never forget it because <clears throat> they had no wooden floors. It was clay, clay floors, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Like you'd see in an old country cottage. Yeah. And then they brought me out to the bike and they had a mule in there. Now, I'm sure he must have hitched it up to something at some stage or other. Right. 
and uh, that was the McGrath's. I remember there were everybody was very poor now. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was no big money around, no. and uh, and happy. Yes, happy I think so happy too. Out. Everyone was happier then. Yeah. Did, did you see any cows being milked around here, or did the milk yeah. come in from outside? No, no. They, in the dairy yard, yeah. in Walter's dairy yard down Bodybuck Lane, to be hand milking them. Oh yeah, yeah. the men to be hand milking them there. Yeah, you'd see them there, uh, and then they'd go into the churns and whatever. No, I don't know where they sold them to. Must have sold them to the local dairy. Well, the local dairy, as far as I remember, would have been Merville Dairy up in Finglas. And that's where they must have been bringing the, the milk to the Marvel Dairy. Then there was the Premier Dairy, that sort of thing. But I do remember when you got a bottle of milk, there was a lot of cream on the top, mm-hmm. a whole lot of cream, maybe two inches yeah. of cream, yeah. because in the house, <laughs> your blood doesn't have you by the throat. You've got to smell like the cream, you know. <laughs> White over cream was like that when we were kids as well. We used to drink milk straight out of the tank, unpasteurized. Yeah. It tastes completely different than the milk you buy in the shop now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, there was always the chance of TB. Yeah. And TB was fairly prevalent. It was, that's right, in, in the 50s and the 40s. Yes, yeah, yeah. pretty much so. Yeah, yeah. And there was sanatoriums and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. You'd have to go to P Mount and there was a place up on um, Whitwood Road. Mm. And that was another sanatorium. And I remember going up there with my mother walking past and all the beds were out. Outside, that's outside, right. Outside, like past. just under a bit of a canopy that's and you right. see them all in the beds. In the air, mm. yeah. Yeah, getting the air. But TB and, was, uh, that was massive. It's not like now where you go up to the hospital and you're treated. There's not much around now, but like you were isolated for a long time, weren't you? That absolutely. You'd be, As a child even. I knew a fella had uh, TB when he was young and he told me he was in bed for a year. That's right. He never got out of it. Mm. And he said when he was released over, they had to teach him how to walk again. Mm. Yeah. So it was now mm. you'd see guys standing around, men standing around. When we were kids we used to look at them with fascination. And one or two of them would have white scarves around their neck, or maybe they got the word, I don't know. And they didn't look <laughs> the best. They didn't look very healthy. No. Um, I have to say they spent a lot of time spitting. Yeah. Which a lot of people did spit there. Yes. Was that snuff yes. or something, or was it or tobacco? No, or no, that would Just be the TB. All for TB. Yes, and they would be coughing up yeah, yeah. and oh, yeah, spitting on yeah. the um, on the ground, which those times wasn't sort of. Mm-hmm. It's a serious thing now. You wouldn't. People don't like that sort of thing. But them times, it was just part of the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew families that had TB in them, you know. Yeah. And they'd be isolated. Yeah, yeah. And but uh, and then of course we had public houses too, you know, uh, and they'd be fantastic carry on and there they'd be dancing and everything. <laughs> Never, um, no, not real. I, I had seen uh, fellas standing out outside uh, Roach's pub on the corner of Courtney Place. That's on Bodybuck as well. That's just another street down from us. And uh, be a bit of a boxer match. Mm-hmm. Mick, could I take you back to the sure. 50s? Um, all around this area in yes. the 50s, in December 1954, yes. there were massive floods. Now, Cahill and I are working on water quality. Right. So we've fierce interest in water and all things water. Right. So there was a great big, there was torrential rain for a couple of days in the December of, of 54. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Well, really... 
I didn't realise at the time what happened. I was only a kid. He was 54. I was only nine <coughs> or eight. But uh, see me, the bridge fell into the Talca River. The railway bridge, overhead railway bridge, mm. was undermined by the rains and fell into the Talca River and blocked the river. It was like a dam. It was like a dam. Yeah. And it all overflowed. And of course, around here is a big dip. It's a great dip. And it flooded. Of course, it filled up with water. But in the street I lived in, the water was, it was a bit of a hill up into it from both ends. You got away with and it. And we got away with it. We were very yeah. lucky. Yeah, yeah. Ivory Tower. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and of course, as kids, we were delighted. Yeah. You know, this was great. We couldn't believe it that morning. I heard a neighbour shouting, mm. get up, get up. And uh, I looked out the window and it was Mr. Corley was the name. He lived in the Spring Garden Passage. And he said, he was shouting, the place is flooded. So we jumped up, of course, and both ends, Spring Garden Street ends, North Strand, Bollybox, water flowing down like a river. Really? Right. We thought it was great. Traditionally, I think it was only about a foot deep, but it happened at like four o'clock or f- four thirty in the morning. Yes. Everybody was asleep. That's right, we were all asleep. All in your beds, single yeah. story houses completely submerged. That's right, yes. And the lucky devils that were living in two story houses that were upstairs that had them slept through it. And they, woke up to yes, it. exactly. They woke up to it. And yeah. Some people that were in single stories, I hear stories of people putting their hand out of the bed and what's that? Get up quick, water. But uh, and then of course there was um, houses with basements, mm. yes. especially on Body Box. There was a lot of big houses on Body Box that had basements. They were all flooded completely. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Now the house we're in now on North Strand Road, it was flooded in where we're sitting now, up to uh, three or four feet. Oh, wow. So, well, you put your hand across the wall to here. They were flooded. It's dried in this. And it never dried. Okay, that's fascinating. still damp there. And was there great community spirit around that time and trying to save people, clean up? Yeah, well, on... On Bollybop, we uh, we would shop on the corner of Bollybop, Spring Garden Street, there was a shop called Lily Fairclose. They sold bread and stuff like that. But if you wanted to get something else, you had to go down further to Bollybop, uh, Brent Thomas, Andy Thomas and all them. But your mother would say, go down to Andy Thomas and get such and such. Uh, and we get down to the end of Spring Garden Street. There was men there with Wellingtons and say, get on me back. And they'd carry you on the back down to the shop. That sort of thing. And in the, the avenue on North Strand, say Bridget's Avenue, and other avenues, there was boats mm. uh, taking people out of their houses. They were badly flooded now, you know. Yeah. And actually, at the end of St. Bridget's Avenue, which is just beside us here, there's a little plaque on the wall and uh, yeah, of uh, a little bust of Our Lady in Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, after the flood that they were on. No one actually died. I think one woman died afterwards. Okay. Yes. Uh, but mm. it, no one was drowned or anything like well, that. Mary, you told us earlier on about a story down where you are now, you weren't as lucky as regards being up on a height about some animals locked up during the flood. Uh, yeah. It wasn't me. It was a recording I did yeah. of some people in East Wall. And, um, and they had a dairy, but they had cattle at the back. And the the back 
yard was in on two different levels. So they had the cattle on both levels, but they were shackled around the neck with metal, some sort of metal neck Jeans. collar. Yeah. Even even when we had cows years ago, you milk them and you let them back in, they'd all go back into their own position and you just put a chain around their neck so they wouldn't. Must have be been the same. Yeah, something similar, yeah. so they'd be tied up overnight, yeah. And uh, uh, this guy was telling me that um, their family, it was relations that owned this dairy, they they lost half of the cattle. Mm. But the father tried to get out to rescue the ones in the lower level yeah. and um, couldn't get to them. Yeah. And they had they couldn't move. So they they said it was awful, you know, it was really... Heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 The uh, upper ones, I think, survived. Mm. There's actually photographs of cattle. There's one of it, definitely of a dead cow floating in the water. Mm. Mm. So there's a lot of animals, Mick, wasn't there? Dogs and... Yeah, um, things like that. But we didn't, around, we didn't yeah. really see the gruesome end of it because initially we couldn't get out of the street. You know, like, yes. like I say, you'd have to get a person would carry it down to the shop and bring it back. But uh, later when the, the water subsided... Of course, we as kids, we were on the rampage and uh, the military were called in and they set up kitchens, you know, to feed the people. And the fact that we, we weren't actually in the flood, you know, we thought that would sort of knock us out for getting the free food. <laughs> we, they, they, they had a canteen set up on the corner of uh, Northbrook Avenue yeah. uh, under the railway bridge. And we marched in there, a good few of us, you know, young for us, as I say, we're only eight or nine. And I remember the soldier saying, yeah, what's, what's the story, lads? And we said, well, we come for something, you know. Yeah. And they had beautiful things that we'd never seen before. Big jars of apricot jam and all that sort of thing. We probably never got our hands on it. Yeah. And uh, they, of course, the soldiers were laughing and we were told we were bluffing them. Yeah. You know, we get yeah. free food. And they, they fed us there. Not that we needed feeding because our own mother was feeding us anyway. But you know, with kids and getting yeah. jammed. We chanced and, your arm. We chanced our arm. Dead right. But uh, we done well out of that. The soldiers were very good. They helped a lot of people. And then a lot of the houses, everything had to be thrown out onto yeah. the streets. Yeah. And uh, of course, we were going around rummaging. Of course. The sea, watching all that old rubbish and like there were bits of things. And treasures. Treasures. It was a yeah. treasure hunt. So it was a great adventure for those. But it was devastating for people that were flooded. Yeah. It, horrible, horrible thing. Mm. I mean, the place has never dried out for years. Yeah. It's not like now they have dehumidifiers and such. But yeah. them times, and they'd be stinking as well, you yes, know. Yes, no insurance. No insurance. No. Even today, they're very reluctant to insure you. Mm. But it, it was a terrible time, really, but we didn't realise how bad it was. I was watching a video um, in preparation for coming here today and mm. they were saying that the bridge that was there at the time um, wasn't really fit for purpose and they replaced it then with what was called a Bailey Bridge, That's right. which was the same bridge that the Allies used crossing that, the Rhine in World War II. temporary bridge yes. bridges, yes. Yes, yeah. But they have since now... Uh, with a fantastic bridge on it now. Brilliant, can't okay. a concrete there. Oh, it's, it won't fall now. Yeah. And they've heard the walls of the river and there was jobs done further up the river to keep it from mm. flooding and all that sort of thing. 
So there you have it. Tune in next time to hear part two of the chat where we hear all about the pirates on Dublin's coast and their connection to us cultures. Myself and Deirdre will be back in two weeks' time, but do give us a review on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Environment Edge podcast. Thank you.